Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. We're going to be looking at a few scriptures today. If you would like to follow along in your Bible, I encourage you to. If you would like to have a Bible to follow along in, raise your hand and the uh, ushers will just stop taking up the offering and get you a Bible <laughs> or they can multitask. I was listening, I was talking to a guy, we had an excellent meeting over at uh, Midwest Believers Church Thursday and Friday for the uh, RMAI, that's the Rhema Ministerial Association International uh, Regional Retreat. So it's uh, all the Rhema people from Illinois and Indiana, um, mostly uh, occupational ministers, but certainly not limited to that. And it's a great time of fellowship. We heard some great, uh, we got some great ministry uh, uh, um, from Joel, but also uh, there's always such great conversation. There are people that I only ever see at this meeting. So once a year I get to see some of these brothers and sisters. And there's, there's a, a few people that I see throughout the year. And I was talking to Jim Clayton, who a number of you have met. He's a Rhema guy who pastors a Methodist church in Colchester. And he said that he and his wife were listening to some old Brother Hagen meetings uh, that were available online. And he said, here's something that grabbed us both, Brother Hagen. And this would have been probably, he's probably listening to messages from the 80s, maybe even the early 90s. And Brother Hagen would say, now open your Bibles he says, I've got three openings today, so open your Bibles to this scripture, and then we'll go to this scripture and this. He says, as soon as he said that, he said, it sounded like it was pouring down rain in that building. And I thought for a split second, it's like, ooh, it's something Holy Spirit. No, you know what it was? People flipping their Bible pages. And it, what, he says, it was such a refreshing sound. And I know, it's a little bit, it's old school. You've got your electronic devices, and they work. That's fine. And we've got the scriptures up here uh, that's kind of supplementary. I can't stress enough how useful it is to know your Bible. Just knowing the order of the books, being able to flip open to it and see it with your own eyes. Uh, God has given me so much just by following along in my Bible, the scripture that's being read from the pulpit. So you're going to hear this again and again and again until I start hearing it rain when I tell you to open your Bibles to a particular passage. Meanwhile, if you have your Bibles... um, you don't need to open it yet, but you can, you can flip, you can put your finger in the book of Amos in uh, chapter 8, I think, and we'll get to that here pretty shortly. Last week, I preached a message about sowing and reaping, and it wasn't about money, was it? No, when Jesus told the parable about the sower, actually the parable of the soils, what was he talking about? The sower sows the, the sower sows the, the word, sower sows the word, and uh, I hate to keep saying things like this because I don't want to sound self-congratulatory or self-promoting or anything, but you really need to hear that message. If you missed it, please go back and listen to it. Uh, It's it's important. We'll just uh, leave it at that. And uh, what it boiled down to, though, is that God gives bread to be eaten and seed to be sown. But if we don't eat the bread that God gives us to eat and we don't sow the seed that God gives us to sow... Uh, we lose it. That's what Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 4 when he says, uh, uh, him who has, to him who has, more will be given. 
And to him who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. Because the implication there from what he just said previously, if you're not measuring it out, uh, it won't be measured to you. We aren't meant to store this stuff up. We're supposed to eat so that we remain healthy. Eat as in feast on the word. Keep, you know, living on the word, abiding in the word. And also sharing the word. That's the sowing part. Um, so, as long as you feed on it and as long as you share it, you're good. The scary part was Romans 1. That's the part where we see people not without the truth, not who have never heard the truth, but actively suppressing the truth and exchanging it for a lie, and what happens to them? It says that God gave them up to uncleanness, gave them up to vile passions, and gave them up, uh, gave them over to a debased mind. I remember walking through Parkland College years ago when I was a student there in the early 80s, and there was a pretty active Christian fellowship there. They would have different speakers in there, and they would have tables set up from time to time distributing literature. And I don't know if this was a particular ministry that had been invited in by Parkland Christian Fellowship or if it was just some individual. But there was a table with a bunch of tracts that were there for purchase or for just taking. And one of them was a little mini book called The Impossibility of Agnosticism. And I remember a friend, a friend who was walking with me looked at that and he says, I don't see anything. In, and this guy was a, a fairly new Christian, by the way. He says, I don't see anything impossible about agnosticism. That just sounds like a stupid title. What's impossible about saying, I don't know if there's a God or not? I mean, that's what agnostic means, without knowledge. So it's often considered the middle ground between theism, believing in God, and atheism, disbelief in God, or lack of belief in God. The agnostic says, I don't know. Well, and I get that philosophically, that's not impossible. You can say, I don't know. Where I think this book is going, or what if I were going to write a book called The Impossibility of Agnosticism, it would go like this. You are making a choice daily, even minute by minute, to either live as if there is a God or to live as if there is no God. You understand? The choices we make... When we choose to sin, we are living as if there is no God. When we choose not to attend to the word, not to give, not to serve one another and the Lord, we are living as if there is no God. Even if we will say with our mouths, if somebody asks, do you believe in God? Of course I believe in God. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Of course I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But if we continue to live as if we there is no God, I think there's a very serious danger of actually coming to the point where we believe there is no God. There's a small picture of this. I don't think it's been super long since I talked about this, but you look at the life of Samson, you know, a Nazarite from his mother's womb, and no razor shall come upon his head. He shall drink no strong drink, no alcohol. He'll not defile his, uh, uh, his body by coming in contact with a corpse. Well, he did. He defiled his body when he went back to the lion that he killed and took honey out of it, and nothing happened to him. It doesn't specifically say, but I think it is more than a safe bet uh, to say that he almost certainly uh, broke his vow concerning alcohol at his 10-day bachelor party uh, with the Philistines. 
he certainly behaved like a, a heathen. So when we get to the part where he gets his hair cut, it wasn't because he was stupid. It wasn't because he absolutely believed this woman, Delilah, would never cut his hair. He just thought it wouldn't matter. Hey, I touched a dead body, nothing happened. Hey, I drank this alcohol, nothing happened. I'm just going to live as if these vows don't matter. I'm going to live as if there was no God. And then what happened? There was no God in his life. He lost his strength. He lost his power. If you insist on living like an atheist, there's a strong possibility that you will become one. So here's something from Amos chapter 8. Amos has been scolding the Israelites. He was from Judah, the southern kingdom, but preaching in Israel, the northern kingdom. But his preaching ultimately applies to both the north and the south. And they were living at this time in fairly peaceful circumstances, fairly prosperous circumstances. And would you believe it? Living in peace and prosperity actually brought them to a place where they were neglecting the word of God. Is that... Isn't this something that's familiar to us? When we should be just rejoicing and praising God for his manifest goodness in our life, when things are peaceful and prosperous, we lose our sense of our need for God. And they were utterly neglected. There was great injustice in the land because they were neglecting the word of God. So Amos uh, says a lot of things that are very similar to uh, other prophetic warnings in Scripture. But he says this in chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Do you see how this ties in with what we were talking about last week? If you've got the word and you're not doing the word, if you're not listening to the word, if you're not sharing the word, you're going to lose it. This is exactly what he's saying. Now there's going to come a time, not too long after this prophecy, where there was no word from the Lord for 400 years. We call them the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. Now I believe very strongly that God still spoke to people during this time. Individuals. But there was no official prophet no word given to the nation of Israel. And anyway, I'm not sure that that 400 years of silence is the main thrust of this passage. It might be. But I think it's more of an Old Testament version of what we read in Romans 1. You ignored the word. You violated the word. You exchanged the truth of God for a lie for too long. You don't eat the bread of the word. You won't have it. Remember also what God's purpose was for Israel. They were very fond of being comfortable and being confident because God had made promises to provide for them, to heal them, to, to uh, pr protect them. They, they were very good at remembering God's blessings. Uh, we're okay because we're God's people. But remember, God said, I'm setting you in the midst of these other nations so that these nations would praise me. I want the world to see how good I am to you. I need you to follow my word because I'm not going to, I'm not going to violate my word. And if you violate my word, I can't bless you. I want you to follow my word so that I can bless you, so the nations can see me blessing you, so that they will worship me too. That's the sowing. 
just by living their life as God called them to live them in the midst of these evil nations, they were sowing the word, except they didn't. Only for brief periods of time under a good and dedicated king here and there did they ever even come close to following God and being a light to these nations. Think about this also. The word is also referred to as water. For instance, Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15, now you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. And when we talk about a dry and thirsty land, a land where there is no water, are we talking about physical water? No, we're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the very presence of the spirit. Jesus himself was what? The word made flesh. And what do demons seek? Dry places. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. You know, uh, there's been a recent uptick in interest in the demonic realm. I don't know if you've noticed this lately. There are a couple films that have come out that I'm not going to say anything about right now. Uh, but they really are shining the light on uh, things that we used to take a little more seriously and used to pay a little more attention to, like demon possession and demon oppression. Uh, and I don't want to go back into the satanic panic uh, of the 80s where things really did get out of hand, uh, but we can't afford to forget that the spirit world is real. There really are devils. There really are demons. Uh, and we do not want to be a dry place for them to rest in. And if we have no word, we have no water. We become dry, and we become an easy target uh, for demons. I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here and talk about my mom. <laughs> Speaking of demons, that's not what I mean at all. <laughs> you know that's not what I mean. And maybe, maybe I should have this, switched this around and preached this on Mother's Day. But... Uh, what my mom did for me and for all of, all, all of us kids, all of us kids, was instill in us a respect for the Word of God. From the time we were little, we were raised knowing there was a God and knowing the Bible was His Word. We went to church every Sunday. We went to Sunday school. Every Sunday school and church were separate back then, and you were really a good church-going family if you went to Sunday school and church. And, uh, and we did that. Uh, for years and years, we did that. And thankfully, uh, I heard in those Sunday school classes, I heard the Word of God. I heard stories. I heard messages. I was introduced to the, to the Bible characters. It's difficult for me to separate how much I learned in Sunday school versus how much I learned at home because mom would go through these Bible storybooks with us and, and read these things to us. Uh, so I learned the Bible. I learned the stories. I learned the people. What I did not have during most of my young childhood years was a knowledge of Jesus. I knew who Jesus was. I did not know Jesus. A lot of the people teaching me the Bible didn't know Jesus. I think my mom did, but just barely. What my mom did know was the Word of God. And this is important because when somebody... Now, I, 
I confessed my sin and invited Jesus into my heart, and I believe with all my heart that I was born again right before my 12th birthday, right? Right before my 12th birthday, Cheryl. Uh, and all of us were, were around that same time. I had to make a decision for Christ. And uh, when, when it came to that moment, what, what made the difference? All I, you didn't need, I don't know how many 11-year-olds need this. Uh, you didn't need to explain the, the philosophy behind this or anything. All you had to do was show it to me in the Bible. If you wanted me to believe anything, about God. Just show it to me in the Word, because that was the respect that was put in me as a kid. So when we came into the fullness of the, of the gospel, after we became born again uh, and then spirit-filled, and then you start learning a lot, you know, during, you know, mom and dad were going to school, but we were all kind of going to school because in, in addition to church twice a week, there were seminars, there were special meetings, and we heard the cream of the crop, and all this stuff was being poured into us. But what was exciting about it was, I never knew that was in the Bible before. I didn't, you didn't need to argue or anything. All you had to do was show it to me in the Word, This is so important because, first of all, this obviously is an encouragement to parents to instill that kind of respect for the word in your children. Uh, it is not, biblically speaking, I mean, if you look at the, look at the parable of the sower, uh, for one, the parable of the soils, uh, a guarantee that they will turn out as good as I did. Uh, no. All I mean by that is, you do what you're called to do as a parent and instill that respect for the word, share the word with your children, but they are going to, they must come to a point where the faith of our fathers becomes our faith. Again, I was born again just for my 12th birthday, but I had a moment at age 23 where I had to personally wrestle with the implications of that decision and make it my own. If I had time this morning, I would share that with you again. I think I've shared it from the pulpit before. I don't think I have time this morning. Uh, if I get through the rest of this in decent time, I might circle back to it. Right now, I want you to, to remember Jacob. Jacob and Esau were the sons of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, who God called out of Ur of the Chaldeans to bring him to a land that he was going to give his descendants. And he was going to multiply his descendants like the stars of the heaven and the sands uh, on, this, on the seashore. And uh, he left the land of his fathers under <laughs> circumstances. He had just stolen the, the blessing from his brother Esau. Remember, Esau was the older brother. He had already uh, kind of tricked him out of his birthright, but he bought it fair and square. Uh, and that was on Esau, selling his birthright for a bowl of stew. Uh, but then he went in and pretended to be Esau so that the blessing that Isaac, was, Isaac, their father, was going to speak over him, he actually spoke over Jacob. And this was a very serious thing back then. They took it very seriously. And when Esau found out, he's like, I'm going to kill him. So off Jacob went. He went to uh, live with his uncle uh, and uh, just stay, out of, uh, stay off Esau's radar for a number of years, for nearly 20 years. And on his way, 
when he left, he had this amazing vision. You remember Jacob's ladder? He has this ladder or this stairway to heaven where he saw angels uh, uh, descending and ascending. He saw the business of heaven going on. And when he woke up, he's like, wow, this is, this is, the, this is the door to heaven. He, and he woke up, he said this in Genesis 28, verse 18. Sorry, I should have given you the scripture, give you time to get there. In Genesis 28, 28th chapter of Genesis which is the first book of the Bible. Beginning in verse 18, it says this, uh, Then Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been loose previously. Then Jacob made a vow. Listen to this. Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat, and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. That word Lord there, the way it's printed there in all caps in your Bible, that means that that should be translated Jehovah. If I come back to my father's house in peace, then Jehovah shall be my God. Then we read about his marriages, we read about his employment by his uncle, who's an even sneakier, a dirtier character than he was. And how God prospered Jacob through some very trying times. And several times we read this, we see Jacob talking to Laban, his uncle, talking to his wife, saying, the God of my father Isaac and the God of my father Abraham will do this, has said this. It's in there at least three times, uh, probably more. This is how he referred to Jehovah, the God of my father's. After 20 years, he leaves to return home. And on the way, right before he gets back, there's one big hurdle he has to clear, you see, and that's when he comes back uh, to the land of his fathers. He still still has to deal. There's this confrontation with Esau that's brewing. Is Esau going to hug me or is Esau going to kill me? Has he been harboring this grudge? But he knows he has to face him. And he's coming back with strength now. He's got flocks and herds and servants and everything else. But he's not looking for a war. But there's this bizarre episode the night before he meets Esau where he wrestles with a man all night. And this man is an angel. Maybe even the angel of God. The pre-incarnate Christ. And he wrestles with him. And it's just you can read the whole story in Genesis chapter 32. And in Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 26, uh, this is the angel speaking. He says, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, this is the angel. Angel of the Lord said to him, what is your name? Now, this angel has come down to wrestle Jacob. Did he not, was, do you think, do you picture this is just some, First of all, some random angel happens to come across a guy. He doesn't know who he is and says, hey, here's a human. I think I'll wrestle him. No, he knew who he was wrestling. Right in the middle of this struggle, he's, all right, let me go. Day's breaking. Don't know why it matters. Not going to dig into that. He says, I'm going to let you go till you bless me. What's the guy say? What a question to ask after wrestling with this guy. What's your name? Do you remember the last time he, asked, he was asked that question? He lied, didn't he? Isaac said, who are you? Because Isaac's eyes were failing him. And he said, What's your, who, who are you? He said, I'm Esau, your son. 
Now, what was his name? Jacob. What does Jacob mean? Usurper. Deceiver. What's your name? Say it. He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Israel, prince of God. Now he has to face Esau, from whom he had stolen his father's blessing. It's this tense moment. And again, read about it in, in chapter 32 and 33 of Genesis. But guess what? It went well. It went well. It was going to be peace. There were hugs. There were kisses. And a welcome back. And in Genesis chapter 33, beginning in verse 18, we read this. If I can get through this. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram. And he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob. This is what he's saying. This isn't a, a, an altar that's meant to be a national monument or a city monument. This is his declaration because his name is now Israel. Remember what he had said 20 years before. Bring me back to this place in peace and Jehovah will be my God. And for the better part of 20 years, he's still the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham. He comes back, confronts Esau, it's peace. He erects an altar right there and says, God of Jacob, God of Israel, my God. This was a man with a legacy. And his legacy, his lineage was important. It's significant. But until that moment, God was not his God. He had to make a decision at that moment. Was he going to fulfill his vow and trust God for himself? Isaac had told him. Abraham had told him. He'd heard the stories. All this stuff had been passed down. They didn't have a Bible yet, but they knew this stuff. They knew who God was. They knew what God required. All the words that were spoken by his fathers became life and truth to him when he said, God of Israel. You can hear the word. You can kind of believe the word. But you will, and I'm especially speaking to the, the younger ones in the congregation, even if you made a quality decision. And I think if you're old enough to understand what sin is, if you're old enough to, to where your conscience uh, speaks to you when you sin, if you're old enough to speak, you're old enough to get saved. I don't think there is a, there's one single age of accountability. Uh, you cannot be considered a sinner until you're 12. Therefore, you don't need salvation until you're 12, and you can't be saved until you're 12. I don't know if anybody actually believes that, but I don't believe that. I believe I could have gotten saved earlier than 12. 
And sometimes I've seen people who came to Christ later in life and, and kind of been jealous, not because, oh, they got to do a lot more sinning and have more fun before they got saved, nothing like that, but just because they understood the implications of, what, of the decision they were making much better than I did at age 12. Doesn't matter, though. I made that decision, and I believe I was saved. I still had to come to that point. And again, that happened when I was 23. Very specific episode. And, I, and we'll all, every one of us, whether, whether you come to that decision the first time at age, you know, at, 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 you know, I would say at the age of critical thinking, not just the age of accountability. You probably meant it when you prayed that prayer when you were 10 years old. And then at age 25, you got to look around and say, Ooh, if I'm really going to go on with him, it means this. It means I've got to be reading the word, knowing the word, feasting on the word, sharing the word. Otherwise, I am not doing the basic stuff that Jesus Christ has told me to do. Am I in on this? Am I not? And you can call it a rededication, a reawakening, whatever you want to call it, but it's a decision you have to make where you go from the faith of your fathers to your faith, the God of your fathers to your God. Will you say, Jehovah is my God, is the question. Now, One last word, and praise and worship team, you could be making your way up here. Talked about the 400 years of silence. And again, there had to be those who were still hearing the voice of God, those who still ate the bread of the word, those who still sowed the seed of the word. God always takes care of his people, even if it is just a remnant the very fact that Israel was able to maintain its identity through those 400 years is a miracle. Just as it's, an, it's a miracle that Israel, the people, for 2000, nearly 2,000 years without a country maintained their identity as a nation. The difference in those 400 years is not that God never spoke to anybody. It's that his words and his speaking to people no longer characterized the nation. They were not known outside of Israel as a special people, as a favored people, as God's people, even though that's who they were called to be. Now, I believe we may be heading that direction here in the United States. It's a possibility that... We are, well, it's not a, I'll say this for certain. We are no longer as a nation characterized or viewed by many, many people and many other nations as a Christian nation, as a godly nation. And it's too bad. Because even though technically and legally we weren't founded as a Christian nation, for all intents and purposes, by the year 1800, we were a Christian nation. That's what characterized us as a people. And there are blessings that come along with that. The church is the reason this nation was blessed. And if the church grows strong again, this nation can be blessed again. And I never want to shut the door on the possibility of revival. There's still time for that in this land, and that's what I'm praying for. You too, right? I don't want this to become a dry place. I want this nation to be a land of many waters. 
But don't worry. No matter what happens, he's promised to be with us. Even if the church becomes a remnant, he'll still take care of his people in the midst of this stuff. Right? Uh, He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you as long as Christianity is the majority religion in your land. No? No, we've got a responsibility as his people to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. But he'll take care of us. But again, let's don't get fatalistic about it. There is time for revival in the land, so you know what? I'll end this the same way I ended it last time, or more or less. Eat your bread, sow your seed. You cannot say that you have a respect for the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God. I'm not saying, listen, there are times I'll open the Bible. I've read the whole thing numerous times, and there's still sometimes I'll come across a passage, and you may think I'm going to say, and I might as well say it too. I'll read a passage I've read a hundred times and go, oh, never saw that before. A new meaning jumps off the page. But I'll be honest, too. Sometimes I'll read a passage that I've read a hundred times, and I'll say, I still don't know what that means. That's a confusing passage. At Parbar Westward, and four at the causeway, and two more at Parbar, saith the Lord. I think I'm going to, well, never mind. I could preach that verse now, I want to tell you. I can. <laughs> Stand up if you can, and if you want to. You don't have to. But I'm inviting you to stand. You've been sitting a while. This is mostly, obviously, a message to the church. This is a message to believers. Don't live like an atheist. So I live like atheists, live like uh, godless heathens, pagans, whatever. No, I'm just talking about what is it about your life that characterizes you, not as a good person, not as a nice person, but as a believer in God. How can you say that you believe the Bible is the word of God and not be desperate to know what's in that word? How, How can you say the promises of God are true and they're good and not be able to tell me what those promises are? If God is God and he has spoken and made promises, I want to know what he has promised. I also want to know what he has required of me. He's shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. There's a lot wrapped up in that word humbly. Humility is submission. It's obedience. It's not an attitude. It's a posture. It's a lifestyle. And the first step in humility is to say, I need the God to be my God. I need the Lord to be my Lord. I need the Savior to be my Savior because I need a God, a Lord, and a Savior. If you've never made that decision, if you've never confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you've never confessed belief, the belief you have in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you're not saved. If you've made that decision, if you've made that confession, congratulations, we're all part of the same family and we're growing together. I just need you to commit to knowing the word. And even if you don't understand it, it's so exciting 
just to familiarize yourself with the words of Scripture so that when somebody else refers to them, you hear a teacher, you hear somebody on the radio, on TV, in church, whatever, you're like, oh, yes, and something will click. Bible readers, can you, can you say amen? Can you, can you relate to that? It's like, oh, yes, it's happened to me. It's happened to me dozens of times. It's happened to me hundreds of times. It wouldn't have made that connection. It wouldn't have clicked except that I had it in there. I wasn't meditating on it. I wasn't thinking about it, but it was in there. I'd read it. You have that kind of respect and hold the word of God in that kind of regard, and God will bring it to fruition, meaning it will bear fruit in your life. Eat your bread, sow your seed. But here's my question really quickly before we go. Is there anybody in here today who needs to make that decision? Oh, Scott, yeah, I've, I've, I've known the Bible's true. I have respect for the word of God. Well, that what I just said about believing and confessing is right from Romans chapter 10. If you will be, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you want to be saved this morning? Do you want to be born again today? I'm inviting you to come up here as soon as I'm, I mean the minute I'm done praying, the second I'm done praying this prayer and they start singing, you come up here and let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for bread to eat. Thank you for seed to sow. Thank you for uh, entrusting us with this mission of preaching the gospel. Thank you for water. Thank you for wet places. Thank you for your word. And I thank you now that your word uh, is doing what only your word can. Your spirit's doing, doing what only your spirit can. Convicting those who need salvation. Causing them to know that they need salvation. And Lord, we pray that you would grant them the humility, the wisdom, and the boldness to respond to your invitation, your offer of salvation today. For today is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. Thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.